On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking plenty about the Bruins and David Krejci's departure and what that means for the team going forward. We will also take a look at potentially what the opening night lineup might look like as the Bruins are in free agency, kind of in the later stages of the offseason. We'll also get to uh, some thoughts from uh, Bruins Development Camp. I was there on Tuesday, so I'll give you guys some things that I noticed and just some updates from uh, people on Twitter all this week. Uh, we will also get to some news and notes from around the NHL. Uh, we will then get to the Red Sox and talk about their uh, trade deadline deals. We'll talk about all of that. We'll take a look at some other deals that went down that have uh, already seemed to be helping some teams. Um, we'll also get into talking about the Red Sox, who have really been struggling as of late. So we'll talk about what's been going wrong, what needs to change for them to kind of get back on track. We'll also talk about Chris Sale, who is slated to join the Red Sox next week. Uh, bearing any type of setbacks um, and then we will also touch around touch on some things from around major league baseball including taking a look at the standings we will then get to the patriots talk about their training camp and some of the things that have been going on patriots are inching closer to their first preseason game so we'll kind of talk about uh, some things to maybe look for in their first preseason game next thursday i will also talk a little bit about Nikhil harry who appears to be sticking around, so we'll get to that. We'll also talk about the National Football or NFL Hall of Fame enshrinement that will take place this weekend, so we'll take a look at some players and coaches and um, league legends that will be inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend. We will then get to the NBA. We'll talk uh, a lot about the Celtics. They made a couple of pretty interesting moves last week. Uh, we will take a look at all of those. Uh, we'll get into some notes from NBA free agency, some of the things, uh, teams that have signed some big-time players. We'll take a look at that. We'll also do a quick look at the Celtics Summer League, what to expect from a couple guys who will be there, including the Celtics' uh, last uh, or the Celtics' most recent draft pick. Uh, we will also get to talking about the uh, gold medal games for both the men and women who will be playing today and tomorrow, so we'll take a closer look at both of those games. Um, then we'll also get to talking about the Revolution, as they have a couple players that have been named to the MLS All-Star Game, and we'll take a quick look at how they are doing. So let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Coming to you guys on this Friday. It is episode 101 of the podcast. We uh, did one hundredth. We did our 100th episode last week. Uh, pretty hard to believe that we're uh, getting into the, the next 100, I, I hope. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm Garrett Hayden, your host, as always. Uh, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can follow the uh, Twitter and Facebook page. I just realized I actually forgot to, to update both of those pages to let you guys know that I was uh, recording today. But, um, you know, give it out to you guys, and there's uh, plenty of content. There is uh, plenty of stuff this week. Um, really kind of looking forward to getting into it. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened um, in the last week that I've really been looking forward to kind of getting my thoughts out about. Um, so, you know, I think I touched on, on everything, where to listen, where you can follow our, you know, great social media pages. Um, so I figure we'll just get right into it um, at the top. Um, you guys noticed that uh, we'll start with the Bruins and uh, talking about uh, David Krejci, who um, very, very soon after um, I finished recording last week, um, he had announced that he uh, will be leaving the Bruins organization um, and will be going back home to the Czech Republic um, and playing professionally there to be, you know, closer to to family, uh, being able to, you know, bring his kids and his family, bring his wife and kids, you know, back to back to where he's from. You know, I think that it's, I think, you know, the decision is, you know, it's, it's, I, I respect it, you know, and I think that we all need to, you know, I think that no one, I don't think here is, is getting upset that he's, you know, choosing to make this decision for, you know, the best for him, the best for his family. And I think that, you know, that's the most important thing. Now, you know, is it the most ideal thing for the Bruins? No, absolutely not. You know, it really kind of leaves them in an unfortunate bind, you know, and I think that there are a couple of different things that, that I think that you can think of, you know, when you first heard this news. You know, I think that the first thing is just realizing how much of a great pro he was here, you know, and how really good and how consistent he, you know, usually was, you know, and I think that while you look at his regular season numbers, there's not a lot that really jumps out at you. You know, really um, only had a, a handful of seasons where he was over 60 points. You know, did set a career high in points, or tied his career high in points, excuse me, a couple of years ago, um, the year the Bruins went to the Stanley Cup. But really, you know, where where David made the most of his, you know, difference was in the postseason, you know, and... I think that, you know, you, you look at what he did in the Stanley Cup runs, you know, specifically 2011, 2013, you know, leading the, the NHL in points both of those times, you know, a career, a, a career, you know, 121 points in 156 playoff games, you know, in the top 10 in, you know, total points in a, in a Bruins uniform, 730 you know, finishing just shy of a thousand games for his career. He, you know, had he played this season, he most likely would have hit a thousand games about midway through the season. But, you know, he hangs it up 15 years with, you know, one team in, you know, I think in, in sports, it's, it's rare that you see guys stick around with the same team for so long. And I think that, you know, that's a, a testament to, you know, David's professionalism that, while maybe not necessarily surrounded by the very best talented players 
in his entire time here. You know, he chose to he chose to be here. And, you know, I think that that says a lot. And I understand that, yeah, a lot of people are, are frustrated that it seemed like, you know, at, at times, you know, David played with a revolving door of, of players, of wingers. Um, and I get it, you know, but I think at the same time, like when I heard this announcement, you know, it was more kind of an appreciation that, you know, he's done so much for the, for the franchise, you know, he'll, his number will be retired by, by the Bruins. You know, that's really no, I, you know, there's really no doubt about that, you know, um, absolutely, you know, one of the most important Bruins players, you know, over the last 15 years, you know, and if you take a look at, you know, in terms of the Bruins, you know, career points, you know, in the top 10, um, in the top 10 in games played, um, in the top 10 in assists, and, you know, eighth in, in points. You know, I think that you look at some of those guys that, you know, are, are leading the franchise, Ray Bork, Johnny Busick, you know, Esposito, you know, Rick Middleton, Bobby Orr, you know, all those guys have their numbers retired. You know, I just think that there's there's no reason that his number won't be retired. You know, you look at Chara, where he is in games played, he'll have his number retired. You know, Bergeron absolutely will get his number retired. So, you know, did, you know, so much for this franchise and, and for this team. And I think that, you know, Definitely is is one of the most underappreciated Bruins players, I think, in team, team history. You know, I think that definitely, you know, clearly still has some game left. You know, he showed us last year when, you know, Taylor Hall came in. You know, you noticed a, a different, a more, you know, kind of a reinvigorated player. Um, and yeah, it, it's it's a little too bad that, you know, we only got to see about half a season of the two of them together and... You know, it's 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 unfortunate, but I think that it's at at the same time you have to realize that you know he he was here and had a very successful run. You know, fifteen years with one franchise, winning a Stanley Cup. You know, being um, a guy that was just really really damn good in the playoffs. Um, so I wish David nothing but the best. Um, I definitely wanted to make a point to talk about you know, him and his career and his legacy before we talk about kind of what's next for the Bruins um, in terms of what this means. So I think, you know, I, I was surprised, you know, I think that a lot of us were surprised, you know, I think a lot of us figured that, you know, he would try to be back, but I think that, you know, the Bruins must have had some type of inkling, you know, and maybe that's the reason why they went out and signed a couple guys like Felino and Eric Halla, who, are two guys who can play center, you know, and I think that Don Sweeney said it, that, you know, this will be a center by committee type approach. Now, I'll just say, I don't know why people are getting angry at him saying that, because it's like, well, that's what, I mean, that's what's going to happen. You know, people are acting like he's saying something crazy, and it's like, well, not really. I mean, the idea and, you know, Bruce Cassidy touched on this yesterday in his, you know, Zoom call. You know, Charlie Coyle is going to take the, the the brunt of the kind of center responsibilities on that second line. But as a team, you know, definitely there are going to be multiple guys that are playing center. 
you have multiple guys on this roster that can play center. And so I think that's what he meant by, you know, a center by center by committee. You know, I think some people got scared by that and thought that he was talking about, oh, they're going to try multiple different guys to replace Krejci. But it's like, in a way, you kind of are. In a way, you're kind of asking, you know, Coyle, Felino, Halla, you know, whichever guy is going to be, you know, centering the second or the third line at any point, you're asking those guys to, you know, replace some of the production, which, in my opinion, it is a really tall order. You know, you're asking a lot of Charlie Coyle, who, you know, had a very disappointing season last year. Was he playing through an injury? You know, I think he was. But, you know, then again, it's like, you know, I think that in a perfect world, the Bruins would wanted to have, you know, Coyle be in a position where you can count on him to be that second line center. I think there's a lot of tremendous risk, but, you know, it's a risk that you have to take. You know, there's really no other options for the Bruins but to do something like this. I will say, though, that, you know, Coyle playing with, with Taylor Hall, you know, who knows? It might change things. You know, it might, he might do a lot better than some of us think, you know, being paired with, you know, Smith and, and Hall, two really talented wingers. Um, so I think, you know, immediately it's asking a lot of Charlie Coyle. You know, I think that also, you know, not sure about Jack Stednika if he starts the season in Boston, but this is a huge offseason for him. This is a huge training camp for him. You know, I think he, for the first time, has a tremendous opportunity to really kind of have a strong camp and potentially throw his name, throw his hat in the ring for, you know, being a third line center, being a regular contributor, you know, on that third line. I think a lot of it depends on what the Bruins do with Jake DeBrusque. You know, I think at this point, he'll be playing with the team next season. You know, I think that if he was going to be traded, he would have been traded by now. So I think that there's a lot of kind of moving parts with, you know, kind of the middle six, if you will. But I think, you know, Cassidy was pretty clear that they're going to try Charlie Coyle, you know, on that second line and just see how it goes. And, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a big responsibility. It's a big opportunity for Charlie Coyle. Um, and I think that, you know, that's what the Bruins are doing. They're putting a lot of eggs in his basket and hoping that, you know, he can be a similar type of production as Krejci. He's not going to be the same player. I mean, he's not even the same type of player. You know, Coyle, I think, plays a more different game. You know, Krejci is someone that plays really well in transition, you know, moving the puck quickly. Charlie Coyle more is more of a player that keeps the puck on his stick and creates chances in the offensive zone. So I think that that's going to be kind of a little bit of a change that you're going to notice more of that, more opportunities in the zone, which, you know, I think to me is really important for this Bruins team because they're a team that, you know, I think historically sometimes has trouble finishing. And I think getting more opportunities in the zone, I think is going to make the offense a little bit more dangerous. So I think, you know, going into what the lineup likely is going to look like on opening night, you know, I think that you'll see Coyle on the second line. You know, I think that having said that Stednika, I think, really has a big opportunity. You know, I think unless he has a training camp that absolutely blows everyone away and maybe the Bruins decide, hey, you know, if we want to give Jack the amount of ice time that we feel he needs, maybe they trade Jake DeBrusque at that point. Um, but I think that most likely, 
you are going to see a third line of DeBrusque, Halla, and Felino. You know, I think the Bruins will most likely swap Halla and Felino. You know, at different points, Felino might play center, Halla might play center, but I think that's the trio that you're likely going to see on the third line. You know, sure, could you see Studnika in there every once in a while? Could you see Carson Kuhlman in there every once in a while? I think so. Um, on the fourth line, you know, I think that's a little bit more interesting. You know, Curtis Lazar is going to be challenging for ice time. Chris Wagner, most definitely. You know, I think looking at Nosek, I think he almost certainly is going to be starting on that fourth line. Just a matter of is he on the wing or is he at center? And Trent Frederick, you know, most likely will start the season on the fourth line. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I think Chris Wagner has outlived some of his usefulness here. Um, I don't really think that he is as effective as a player of, or as maybe a, a, a Lazar or a Kuhlman, but, you know, I think that most likely he'll go into the season seeing, you know, um, a, th- a fourth line of, you know, Frederick, Nosek, and Chris Wagner, and then you have some other extra guys. Um, and then in terms of defense, you know, I think you're going to see the group that the Bruins have put together through free agency, you know, Grizzlick, McAvoy. It was interesting that uh, Cassidy said yesterday that he might, you know, think about putting uh, Derek Forbert up on the top pair for, you know, certain games or perhaps in the playoffs. Um, but obviously Mike Riley is back. And I think, you know, opening night, you'll see Grizzlick, McAvoy, Riley and Brandon Carlo, and then Forbert and Connor Clifton, you know, on that third pairing, if you will. Um, and then, you know, goaltending, most likely going to be Olmark and Swayman. You know, no news really about whether the Bruins are going to bring back to Garask. You know, I think that that's kind of an, an, an interesting thing to think about um, because I think, you know, could he choose to retire or walk away like David Krejci? I think that's a possibility. Um, I also think it's a possibility the Bruins, you know, sign him at some point during the season, you know, and see if he can be healthy, he can be a difference maker down the stretch, you know, and see if they can go on a deep run to the playoffs. Um, But I think, you know, at the moment, you're going to see Linus Ulmark be the starter out of the gate, Jeremy Swayman being the backup, and then you'll have Kyle Kieser and maybe some other names in, in Providence after the Bruins traded uh, Dan Vladar after signing Ulmark. Um, I think that, you know, the most logical explanation for trading Vladar was, you know, he had to go through waivers to be sent down to Providence. And so I think that obviously is definitely kind of a scary proposition because if the Bruins did that, he almost definitely would get picked up by someone. Um, and the Bruins trading him, getting a third round pick, you know, I think, Honestly, a third-round pick is not its not too bad for someone like Vladar, who has played, you know, a lot in the AHL, has played a little bit in the NHL. You know, I think that a third-round pick is pretty solid for a goalie who, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the future holds for him in Calgary. Um, so in terms of what's going on with the Bruins right now on the ice, uh, Bruins development camp, is going on. I think as as I speak, they might be uh, wrapping up the week. So um, it's a camp for the Bruins prospects um, and also for um, any players from the uh, local like Boston area 
um, that are invited. So it's been a an interesting week. I was able to attend on Tuesday. Um, so John Be- Johnny Beecher, Bruins first round pick of 2019, was there um, in a in a red non contact jersey because he is still rehabbing a uh, shoulder injury. Um, a couple of picks from this current draft class: uh, Brett Harrison, the Bruins third round pick; Ryan Mast, the Bruins sixth round pick; and then both of their seventh round picks, uh, Ty Gallagher and Andre Gasso were there today, and then a few of the Bruins' picks in 2020. Mason Langenbrunner, the Bruins' fifth-round pick. Uh, Mason Lorai, the Bruins' second-round pick, was there. I think there might be a couple of other guys that I might be forgetting. Uh, Brady Lyle was also there. He played a little bit in Providence last year. Curtis Hall also played a little bit in Providence last year. So those are just some of the names that that I recognize and watched. Um, And I think that, you know... It's just a great opportunity for some of these guys to get, you know, a look at, you know, going through drills and kind of just going up and matching up against guys. You know, and I think that you're seeing um, some good competition this week. You know, really, I would say, you know, if you're on Twitter and you want to find out more, uh, follow my good friend, Mike Craddy. He is a great uh, Bruins resource. Uh, Bruins Network um, is run by... uh, Anthony, I forget what his last name is, but um, he does a great job with that Twitter account. Um, So I think those are just two Twitter accounts to pay attention to if you want to find out more about development camp, more kind of in-depth stuff. Um, Kyle Kieser, the Bruins. um, So the problem with him, I cannot remember whether he was a draft pick or undrafted free agent, but either way, um, he has been there this week. He was the only uh, Bruins kind of prospect goalie there the Bruins had two other goalies that were in that were invited um, so you know I think that it's again just such a great opportunity for some of these guys to um, be able to kind of compete against one another be able to compete against you know potential teammates um, so Curtis Hall played a little bit in Providence last year played about 12 or 15 games um, and then signed his entry-level deal in March. So um, he's another guy that I think most definitely you'll see at Bruins training camp um, in September. You know, I think that he's a guy that if there are a number of injuries that happen, you could see him make his NHL debut. I think also the same thing for Brady Lyle, who saw a little bit, bit of time in Providence last year. Um, a right-handed shot, you know, you never know. You know, I think that those those are two guys to keep your eyes out or keep your eyes peeled for, because I think there's a possibility they could play for the Bruins this season or possibly next season. You know, I think the majority of these other guys probably you don't see for the next two years. You know, I think there's a possibility that you see the Bruins' first-round pick, Fabian Lysel, possibly play for the Bruins in two or three years. Uh, Brett Harrison, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, plays either in the AHL or the NHL. I probably should have said that for... For Lysel, I think that there's a possibility that both of those guys maybe play pro hockey within maybe the next two years. So I think, you know, again, good opportunity. Uh, Bruins um, had Chris Kelly at development camp. He's a, a coach of some sort in the Bruins organization. I wouldn't be surprised if he's behind the bench uh, this season because the Bruins did lose Jay Pandolfo 
and Jay Leach, two coaches from the organization uh, that left. So possibility to see Chris Kelly on the Bruins bench this season. Um, Adam McQuaid also skated with some of the guys earlier this week. Uh, so good to see him. So he uh, is retired. Not sure what the future holds, but you know, definitely a good resource for some of these young guys. Um, I also thought it was great. Brad Marchand, you know, spoke to the um, the guys on Monday. You know, I think that he's a great resource. You know, a guy that really worked his tail off to become, you know, one of the biggest stars in the NHL. You know, the Bruins picked him in in 2006, you know, maybe a third-round pick and, you know, comes into the NHL. I mean, we all remember he came into the league as kind of a, you know, a grinder, fourth-liner type player. You know, and he's worked him to work so hard into becoming one of the, if not the best, left wing in the league. You know, so I think that it means a met probably meant a lot to those young guys. You know, to see Marshan come in and, you know, that he's not too big for for, you know, coming and speaking to the young guys. And that's what, you know, one of the things I've loved about this Bruins organization is, you know, guys appreciate giving back. You know, guys aren't above, you know, talking to the young guys. You know, I think Zidane Chara and Patrice Bergeron, you know, built such a great cult- culture of, you know, every guy is the same. You know, you don't look at someone differently because they've been in the league for 15 years or if they're a rookie. You know, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the Bruins have had such a successful group of players on the ice over the last, you know, 10, 12 years or whatever it is, because, you know, they all see each other as equals. No one's really that much different. So, you know, I think that that just goes to show you that, you know, this organization, this culture, you know, really permeates itself all throughout all phases of the organization. Um, So I think... We'll move on to the rest of the NHL. Just some kind of notes here. Uh, Thomas Tatar signing a two-year deal with the Devils the other day. Uh, free agency obviously is still ongoing, but you know most of the signings have, have come and gone. Uh, Zach Aston Reese getting a new contract with Pittsburgh. Uh, Dante Favreau getting a new deal with the Predators. Aiden Hill with the Sharks. Um, it also was reported that Pierre-Luc Dubois for the... Um, the Jets, who's traded to the Jets um, earlier this or during the season, uh, will wear number 80 next season to honor his um, teammate, Matisse Kivlenix, who was um, sadly killed in that uh, fireworks explosion on the 4th of July. So um, great to see there. You know, I think that it's a great move, you know, to honor a teammate and a friend. So I think that that was um, really, really amazing to see. Um, so I think, you know, Again, probably won't hear a whole lot from the NHL, you know, free agency kind of, not not over, I mean, free agency will keep going, but you'll likely see most of the big guys being signed. Um, and, you know, Bruins will open up, you know, uh, rookie camp, I believe, prior to the, the real training camp, and that takes place um, in about a month or so. So you probably are not going to hear me talk about the Bruins too much you know, in the next few weeks is kind of the off season will kind of go into the dog days. Um, you know, unless there's a trade, it'll keep you guys updated with um, any sort of Bruins news. But uh, it was really fun going to development camp on Tuesday. Uh, had a great time. Look forward to going to that next year. So 
Uh, we will move on. We will talk some Major League Baseball and talk about the Red Sox. And yeah, it's not been it's not been a good time to be a Red Sox fan. I'll tell you that much. Uh, the Red Sox have been playing very poorly uh, as of late. You know that's that's an understatement. They've lost six of their last seven, uh, seven of their last nine, I believe. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been really ugly. The Red Sox have really struggled to get solid, consistent starting pitching. Um, and when they have gotten okay starting pitching, the offense, you know, has gone cold. You know, and I think that one of the things about you know Major League Baseball is it's a long, it's a long season. It's 162 games. You know, you're you're never going to. I mean, I shouldn't say never because the Red Sox won 108 games a couple of years ago. But, you know, you all, you are almost never going to go through a season without going through stretches of bad baseball, you know, whatever it is. If it's, if it's poor pitching, poor offense, you know, any of that. You're bound to go through stretches like this. Obviously, the Red Sox have not had a stretch like this all season. You know, I think a 14 and 15 since July 1st. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think... The, the reality of the situation is the Red Sox um, starting pitching has come back down to earth. You know, the guys that have pitched well at the beginning of the season are starting to kind of fall back towards the average. You know, guys like Martin Perez, Nick Pavetta, um, two guys that pitched really excellent out of the gate are now starting to show signs of ineffectiveness. And you're even starting to see that from, from Nate Evaldi. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez has been very up and down. It is worth noting that he did pitch well the other night in Detroit, and the Red Sox uh, snapped their five-game losing streak, but then they lose yesterday, and Perez gets rocked. Um, the Red Sox are really in bad shape with the starting rotation um, as the effectiveness for a lot of these guys has gone down. Um, so it's, it's, it's pretty ugly, you know, and I think the, the offense has also really started to fall back down to earth, if that makes sense. You know, this Red Sox offense, you know, really is not the issue with this team. You know, I think that we all figured that they were going to be a top offensive team, which they have been for the majority of the season. You know, J.D. Martinez has gone through a really tough stretch. Um, Homered the other night. Um, You know, Devers has had a tough time. You know, the Red Sox have not gotten a whole lot from Verdugo over the last couple months. Um, and even guys like Bogarts, you know, their averages started to dip, and the Red Sox have really not been able to get anything consistent out of Bobby Zollback in that first first base spot. You know, we'll talk about the deadline in a second, but you know, it's just yeah, it's it's not good. The Red Sox are currently a game and a half back of first place with Tampa Bay, but you know, the the good news is is you know they're still. A lot of baseball to be played. The Red Sox have been on the road for, you know, a considerable amount of time. Not that it's an excuse, you know, but I think that should the could the Red Sox get home and maybe they start playing better, who knows? You know, I'll take a closer look at the standings in a moment. But, you know, clearly the big buzz last week and, you know, we recorded on Friday last week during the trade deadline, let you guys know about some deals. The Red Sox obviously brought in Kyle Schwarber, who is still uh, dealing with a hamstring injury, probably can return to the Sox sometime soon. Um, it also seems to be that the Red Sox will be trying him at first base, which, you know, makes sense. But I think, like, 
you got to get him back, you know, in a, in a you got to get him in a Red Sox uniform as quickly as possible. Um, because I think first base is one of the issues that the Red Sox had going into the deadline. And, you know, I think that something needs to change with Bobby Dahlbeck. I think that he needs to get sent down. You know, I think that it's kind of long overdue, but at the same time, the Red Sox are not really in a position to put anyone else at first base, you know, at least until Schwarber um, gets healthy enough to play. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's not good. You know, I think uh, we're looking at the Red Sox, 110 games into the season, 52 games to go. And, you know, it's uh, becoming a lot more of a, of, of a pennant race, you know, than, than I think we all wanted it to, you know, it's getting a lot closer. The, the Yankees and the Blue Jays are starting to close in a little bit. And so I think the Red Sox really are in a position where they really need to start stringing some wins together. Uh, they will play four games in Toronto this weekend, have a game tonight and then a doubleheader tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it's really kind of now or never for this team to kind of get back on track um, and get back to being the team that we saw for the majority of this season. So it also is worth noting that Chris Sale will likely join the Red Sox rotation next week. Um, he'll make a final rehab assignment in Worcester, I believe, tomorrow or some point this weekend. Um, and, you know, it's about time. The Red Sox really need a shot in the arm. Um, in with their starting pitching, you know, it was a little surprising um, as kind of we'll go into the trade deadline. Now it was a little surprising. The Red Sox didn't make more of an effort to, you know, bolster that starting rotation. You know, maybe the thought was, okay, you can bring sale back, but I think it would, it would have been smarter for the Red Sox to go out and get another relief, uh, another starting pitcher. The Red Sox did bring in a couple of relievers on kind of smaller deals, um, which, you know, they're fine, but I think that, you know, the trade deadline did not go the way that it probably should have, you know. Am I upset that the Red Sox didn't get Max Scherzer? You know, not exactly. You know, I don't really think that their their interest was ever legitimate, to be perfectly honest. You know, I think that's a whole separate conversation about ownership, but, you know, I think in terms of kind of the big name guys, you know, they weren't in on Chris Bryant. They weren't really in on Scherzer. You know, I think one of the guys they really should have been on was Anthony Rizzo. You know, he has had his struggles over the last two years, but, you know, it's pretty obvious that he's been hitting pretty well with the Yankees, you know, which is kind of a, a, a gut punch, if you will, you know, seeing him go to, you know, another team in your division, the Yankees, while the Yankees are still, you know, pretty far out in terms of the playoff chase, you know, they're starting to they're starting to figure things out a little bit. So, you know, I think in terms of kind of the big name guys and making a big splash, you know, I wasn't really thinking that they were. I didn't really think that they necessarily had to, you know, but I will say that you needed more than what you got. You know, I think that getting Schwarber is a fine deal, you know, getting him to play first base I think it's fine. You know, it's a little unfortunate that it's going to take him a little bit longer to, you know, get on the field. But I think it would have made the, made made more sense if the Red Sox had gotten another starting pitcher or, you know, gotten kind of a better, more of a, more of a kind of legitimate arm in the bullpen. Um, and rather, I think the Red Sox are kind of just 
playing it super conservative, which obviously frustrates a lot of people. But, you know, I think when you, when you think about what Heim Bloom has been brought to the Red Sox to do, you know, it's exactly this. It's to not swing for the fences and make super, you know, trades that probably end up being ill-advised, you know, or offering big, big contracts to guys that end up blowing in your, blowing up in your face. You know, that's the whole reason why the Red Sox, you know, got rid of Dave Dombrowski, you know, because it, it, it becomes, it becomes un, unsustainable at a certain point. And I think the Red Sox, you know, need to be a team that needs to be more focused on long-term success and being successful for a long, longer period of time, you know, rather than just a few years, you know, they've done all this work to build up the farm system and, you know, to go sell out because you want to get Max Scherzer doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, you know? And I also just think, yes, there was an opportunity that you could have gratefully improved your, your team by kind of managing the, the middle of the market, so to speak, you know, not focusing on the big time superstars but also kind of not exactly making moves that are just kind of small kind of blah moves. You know, you really needed Heim Bloom to make a couple more, you know, higher impact trades. Um, and I think that that's kind of where, where I'm at. You know, is it a colossal big time failure that, oh my God, like they screwed up of royally? No, not really. You know, I think that some of that reaction is a little over the top, you know, I think some of us need to consider that the Red Sox, none of us thought they were going to be in the point, you know, at the point that they were at the trade deadline. None of us thought they were going to be in a fight for first place, you know, and so I think if the plan for the Red Sox is to be more conservative, you know, stay under the 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 tax or, or whatever it is, I don't really understand that fully, to be perfectly honest, but if their plan is to be conservative and, you know, build a, a successful farm system, you know, that makes you compete for a longer period of time, well, then that's the plan. You can't just scrap the plan just because you happen to be, you know, in first place in the AL East. And I know that people don't want to hear that, but it's like you are not supposed to be this good at this point. I know that they're struggling right now but they were not supposed to be a first place team at the trade deadline. They just weren't. And so I think if the plan is to do something, you can't just change it because you're now in contention. You can't just, you know, start being reckless. And I understand the Red Sox didn't need to be reckless. You know, could they have made a couple of more higher impact trades without having to trade, you know, their top prospects? Yeah, probably. But I think that, you know, some of the, some of the anger is a little bit, a little bit extreme to me. Um, that I think, yes, this was not a well handled trade deadline. Trade deadline, I will say that right out. I don't think Heim Bloom did the best job. You know, is this probably his worst moment as a GM with the Red Sox? Yeah, probably. You know, but I think, you know, if if this really is the worst thing that he's done so far. I think he's done a pretty good job. You know, if you think about the deals he made last year, you think about the deals that he made in the offseason that, you know, some of them have not turned out, you know, Garrett Richards. But, you know, you look at Renfro and Kike Hernandez, they've been pretty solid signings, you know. And 
you have a team that's in the midst of a playoff chase that I'll be honest, I never I never saw coming. And I'll be honest, a lot of you probably didn't see coming either. You know, I don't, I don't want people lying to me and being like, oh, like I knew they were going to be good. No, no, you didn't. None of us saw this run coming. And I also think that's kind of part of the reason why people kind of need to, to calm down a little bit about the trade deadline. And it wasn't a good trade deadline. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say that Bloom did a good job. No, he didn't really do a good job. But is it as bad as people are saying? No, not really. You know, I think that some of the the anger is a little bit is is, is a little bit unnecessary. Um, so I think looking at the rest of Major League Baseball and you know looking at the other trades that happened, you know Max Scherzer, Trey Turner going to the Dodgers, you know Rizzo going to the Yankees, Chris Bryant going to the Giants. Um, you know the Cubs really became a team that just sold everyone off. Craig Kimbrell went to the White Sox um, and a couple of a couple of additions within the or well the, the Rays had gotten Nelson Cruz but that was prior to the deadline uh, the Yankees also got Andrew Heaney from the Angels uh, Braves getting Jorge Soler um, and then the Mets obviously getting uh, Baez that was a big time trade for them Blue Jays getting Jose Barrios um, so, you know, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that a bunch of other teams, you know, in the division made a couple of, you know, big splash signings, um, and the Red Sox kind of were just comfortable doing some smaller things, um, you know, certainly is a choice, but I think, you know, if you think about some of the big name guys that were traded, you know, I don't really know if it was, it would be worth, you know, really kind of just erasing the whole farm system to get these guys, you know, because that just goes against the whole point of hiring Bloom. It's just like totally not the point. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. It'll be an interesting next few weeks for the Red Sox because um, I think, you know, it's a, a point that they've not been at at all this season. You know, I think for the most part, everything's been – you know, pretty good. Everyone's been been happy with how how well they've been playing. But you know, this is really the first time all season that they've been really down. You know, sure they've had points this season where they've lost three, four games in a row, and that happens. But you know, it's kind of unfortunately becoming a little bit of a trend. You know, in the month of July, kind of the dog days, and the Red Sox are you know maybe running out of gas a little bit, but. You know, big opportunity this weekend, four-game series against the Blue Jays. As we take a look at the standings, the Rays obviously back in first. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, the, the Rays and the Yankees are, are breathing down the Red Sox' neck now at this point. The Yankees are now five and a half games back of first place. Blue Jays are six and a half. Uh, both of those teams have won three in a row and have won eight out of ten. It's a really big series for the Red Sox and Blue Jays this weekend. Um, in the Central, the White Sox still have a big lead over Cleveland, nine and a half games. Uh, the Red Sox currently are in the um, closest race of all the division teams, I think. Or actually, no, the NL East has gotten pretty close over the last couple of days as the Mets have lost three. Or actually, no, let's do the AL East, AL West first. Sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. 
Um, the Astros still on top in the West, four games over the Oakland A's in the National League East. Uh, the Mets have lost seven out of ten, so they are now just a half game in first place ahead of Philadelphia, who has won five in a row, and then Atlanta, who's won three in a row. They're a game and a half back, so things have gotten very interesting in the NL East. Uh, the NL Central, Brewers still leading the pace, a seven-game lead over the Reds. And then in the West, the Giants still maintaining a four-game lead over the Dodgers, seven and a half over the Padres. So we take a quick look at the wild card standings in the American League. Red Sox, obviously, in that top spot, two and a half games up on Oakland, who is the second wild card team. But you take a look at the Yankees and the Blue Jays. They're right there in terms of the wild card. The Yankees, game and a half back of Oakland, Toronto, two and a half. And the Seattle Mariners, three and a half back of Oakland at the moment. In the National League, the Dodgers have a pretty healthy advantage as that first wild card. The Padres are the second, and then the Reds are three and a half games back at that last wild card. Phillies, five and a half, and the Braves, six and a half. So I think that probably will do it for for baseball. We'll move on ahead to the NFL and talk about the Patriots and uh, believe it or not, the uh, practices before the uh, preseason opener are uh, coming to an end. Uh, the Patriots just have a couple more practices next week prior to their first uh, preseason game against Washington on the 12th. Um, so we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, you know, some of the things that, that I've been noticing over the last couple of days, you know, have paid attention to uh, some of the videos on Twitter, some of the you know, write-ups from some of the writers, um, you know, it doesn't seem like Mac Jones or Cam Newton are really, you know, separating themselves from one another. And, you know, I'll be honest, that is probably what I was most concerned about, you know, and I'm not overly concerned, but I guess I just would think that one of them would be doing really, really well, you know, and I know that it's, it's training camp, it's, it's a different thing, but I just thought, you know, might be, you know, I don't know if it's an easier decision for Bill Belichick. It's probably not. You know, I think that, as I've said, it's Cam Newton's job to lose. You know, and I think that if he's been just okay, then, you know, clearly he's not shown enough or hasn't shown that he's, like, bad enough to lose that starting job. So, you know, I think it's both of them having good days and bad days. You know, some of them having good throws and bad throws. You know, I think it's going to happen. Um, but I will say, you know, I think it was over the weekend earlier in the week, um, Nelson Aguilar was having a really strong string of days, um, kind of really looking like he was kind of in the lead for that wide receiver one spot. You know, I think to be perfectly honest, not that wide receivers don't matter in the Patriots offense. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I think that in terms of being a wide receiver one, it means something different on the Patriots than it would on maybe a different team. You know, I think when you think of a wide receiver one, you think of the best wide receivers in the game. You think of DeAndre Hopkins. You think of Devontae Adams. You think of, you know, Stephon Diggs, guys who are that kind of number one, you know, superstar receiver. The Patriots honestly have not had that really at all in the last 20 years. You know, yes, Randy Moss for sure you know, was kind of a superstar receiver. But I think, you know, for the most part, the Patriots are a team that kind of does it by committee. And, 
you know, Nelson Aguilar might not be, you know, the most talented wide receiver in the league, but, you know, I think that there are certain guys that serve a purpose in the Patriots offense. You know, Aguilar is going to be a guy that's going to go deep and go deep for those, for those balls that you get him to run under. Um, you know, it seems like, you know, Kendrick Bourne is going to be a guy that's going to really thrive in those short intermediate routes. You know, and Jacoby Myers is kind of someone that can do everything. You know, and assuming that Nikhil Harry is going to, you know, stick around, he's maybe kind of the big physical guy that you try to target, you know, in the red zone in kind of short areas. Um, but I think that, you know, bringing in those two tight ends and Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, you know, really I think is going to open things up for the wide receivers. You know, and I think the Patriots are an offense where they're going to spread the ball around. And that's kind of been an offense that they've always been. You know, yeah, you look at Julian Edelman. Yeah, for sure. I think he's been a kind of superstar receiver, I guess you could say. But I think that the Patriots offense works well when they're spreading it to everyone. You know, and I think that you want to see Cam Newton doing that. You want to see him, you know, hitting certain guys um, a bunch of different times. So I think, you know, it's it's going to be what it's going to be with the quarterback thing. You know, I think I just thought that, you know, Cam Newton would come in really motivated and have, you know, a really good camp. But, you know, I think at this point, the type of player that he is, is the type of player that he is. And he's not going to get, you know, significantly better. You know, I think the hope is just you surround him with better talent and the team just performs better. You know, I think that that's really kind of what they're banking on at this point. Um, you know, and I think it's it's good to see Mac Jones having good days. Good to see him having good throws. Good to see him, you know, developing a good rapport with some of the receivers. Um, you know, I think that that, you know, battle really has been the big talk of camp. Um, you know, I think that, you know, cornerback is an interesting spot too, because Stephon Gilmore, there really still is no news on kind of a new contract or any of that, um, or a raise or any of that. So I think, you know, it's, it's a big opportunity for some of those guys in that group that, you know, they can show that they can be okay without him. You know, I hope that that's not the case. I hope the Patriots can bring him back, but, you know, I think that it's, it's it's starting to be a little bit concerning as we're now less than a week away from the first preseason game. You know, and not that it really matters, not that you're going to see Stephon Gilmore, you know, play in preseason games, you know, because I still think that he might be rehabbing, you know, his torn quad. Um, but I think that, you know, you got to get him some type of action. You can see him on the field and, you know, something's got to give with this, you know, contract situation. You know, the Patriots might need to budge. You know, he might need to budge. Really not sure what's going to happen, but, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, you know, and I think I mentioned Nikhil Harry in terms of the offense. You know, I think that it's it was interesting, you know, that he's, him and his agent, you know, requesting a trade all those weeks ago, but, you know, him reporting to camp. And to be perfectly honest, I think that says a lot about him. You know, I think that it says that, you know, yes, maybe he wasn't totally comfortable with his spot with the Patriots, but he's still going to show up and work, you know, and I think that you're seeing someone who has had a really good camp. He's had a really good last couple days, you know, and I think that he's someone who um, has come in with a chip on his shoulder and is really, you know, doing the best he can to improve himself as a, as a professional, you know, and I think I think that, you know, it leads you to believe that he's been here. Bill Belichick has said, 
you know, some some positive things about him. You've seen them talking quite a bit. You know, maybe it makes you believe that maybe he will stick around and maybe it's, you know, I, you know, I don't know, you know, how this, you know, is going to work out with, with the trade request and all that. But, you know, I think that it's, it's good to see that he's willing to be here and willing to work and willing to, you know, try to get better, you know, and I think that there's still a spot for him on this team. Absolutely. You know, I think that the Patriots can use him the way that, you know, maybe use him down in the goal line, you know, maybe use him as kind of a, a jump ball guy. But I think that, you know, the it shows a tremendous amount of professionalism, you know, to to show up to the team's training camp after you've requested a trade, um, but just, you know, still being willing to work hard um, and better yourself as a pro. So, you know, I think I kudos to him for, for showing up and working, you know, and hopefully he can, you know, find a good spot on this team, or if he does get traded, find a good spot somewhere else. Um, you know, I think he'll be someone to watch um, in the first preseason game, assuming that he's still here, you know, and kind of what, be interesting to see how the Patriots use him if they, you know, if he does, you know, make a, an appearance in this game. Um, you know, obviously the quarterback situation will be interesting. Uh, Patriots announcing last week that Jared Stidham will be out for a bit, um, needing to have surgery, I believe. Um, so they signed Jake Dolagala, who was a, I, I believe initially was um, on the Packers training camp roster, but he comes um, to the Patriots. So, you know, maybe you see him play a little bit in the preseason, but I think, you know, you really want to see what Mac Jones can do um, in their first preseason game. Um, you know, don't expect a lot of points. You know, I think with the first preseason games, uh, expect a lot of sloppy football. Um, you know, don't expect that there are going to be big high-scoring games or, you know, maybe there will be. But, you know, I tend to think that, you know, not, not that it's easier to play defense in the preseason, but oftentimes, you know, you're seeing offenses kind of test a lot of things out, you know, and most likely you're going to see low-scoring games, as you saw last night with the Cowboys and Steelers, you know, first preseason game. You know, yeah, it's the Hall of Fame game, it's football, but it's not really football, you know. Um, and I don't want that to sound like I'm being disrespectful um, because there are a lot of guys that play in these preseason games and, you know, really bust their, you know, bust their you-know-what to try to get a spot on a team. You know, they're guys that are fighting in these preseason games. You know, we think as viewers, oh, you know, these games don't really matter. But for some of these guys, it's their livelihood. You know, if, if, if you've seen hard knocks at any point over the last 10 years, you know that it's oftentimes guys are featured on that show of, you know, guys who are featured on that are typically on, on the fringe of the roster and they're working really, really hard, you know, and so these preseason games are really important for them. You know, it's just kind of unfortunate that there are some people in the football community that still have that thought process that preseason is useless, you know, and it just is, it's completely disrespectful to some of these guys who are undrafted or, you know, late picks or whatever, they get invites to camp. And they're working their butt off to try to make the roster. And I don't know, to make light of that is kind of silly. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity for some of those guys 
Um, but I think just back to my original point, you know, I think more often than not, you see low scoring games because the offenses, you know, are trying to work a lot of things out. So that's probably what you're going to see with the Patriots. You know, I think it'd be interesting to see who gets a lot of playing time in terms of the rookies and the young players, you know, which guys are standing out, which guys are surprises. You know, there's definitely a lot of What's the word? There, there's a lot of value, you know, in watching these preseason games and paying attention to the different packages, you know, what types of players are, are being brought in on, you know, downs, on, on, on certain downs. So I think, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of stuff to watch for. Um, so I believe Patriots will play next Thursday at Gillette against Washington. That will be their first preseason game. Um, so... Just a last little note on the NFL. So this weekend is the uh, Pro Football um, Hall of Fame enshrinement. Um, the NFL is doing the class of 2020 and 2021 um, as they were unable to do an enshrinement last year. Um, so obviously the Hall of Fame game last night kicking off the weekend. Uh, so this year's class in 2021, um, a couple of names, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, uh, John Lynch, Calvin Johnson, uh, Coach Tom Flores will be part of the 2021 class. Um, and then the class from last year, some of you might remember some of the names. Um, Isaac Bruce, Troy Palomalu, Edron James, um, NFL Films Administrator slash President Steve Sable, uh, former, NFL con- former NFL Commissioner Paul Tagliabue, uh, Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson, um, Alex Karras, Harold Carmichael, just a couple names from last year's class. So they will all be inducted uh, over the weekend. So that will be, um, you know, always, always a great, always a great thing to watch, you know, watching the, the different speeches, you know, and, and honestly, like going back to talking about guys in the preseason that really kind of work their butt off, um, you know, it's, Kind of amazing just to see kind of the both ends of the spectrum of, you know, guys working so hard in training camp in the preseason to just make a roster, but then looking at guys who are Hall of Famers, you know, guys who have been in in the league for so long and have, you know, played, coached, just been a part of the game. You know, it's kind of just crazy to just think about that, you know, that whole weekend you see kind of both end both ends of the spectrum, you know, guys working hard to make a roster and then you see hall of famers, you know, and it's almost like really kind of gives guys even more of a reason to go out really hard and play those games. So importantly, because, you know, they're, you're playing on a weekend that, you know, is honoring the best, you know, people in football players, coaches, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, it's always a fun thing to watch. It's always, uh, heartwarming to watch, you know, the speeches, of the the players that, you know, have given so much to the game and, you know, have worked their whole lives, you know, to, to get to the league and then put together, you know, unbelievable careers. So definitely, you know, worth celebrating the careers of some of these guys this weekend. Um, so I think that that probably does it for football. Move on to the NBA free agency, obviously, or the, the negotiation period, excuse me. Uh, opened up on Monday, so you saw uh, guys agreeing to contracts. Today is the day that the contracts and the money becomes official. 
Um, so, you know, you might see on Twitter, oh, you know, these signings are official. And you might think, oh, I thought they were official on Monday. Well, today, I think, is the day that the, the contracts become official. So the Celtics have been pretty busy over the last week. Um, I think, forget which days of the week these happened, but the Celtics uh, trading Tristan Thompson as part of a three-team trade to the Kings. Uh, the Celtics, um, Celtics, Kings, and Atlanta Hawks were involved in this three-way trade. Uh, the Celtics get Chris Dunn from the Atlanta Hawks. Chris Dunn obviously uh, played at Providence collegiately and, you know, has had kind of an uneven NBA career, hasn't played, you know, great amount, a great amount of minutes, hasn't exactly, you know, reached his potential. But it is an interesting thought process as he is, you know, still on the younger side, a pretty good defensive player. I'm not sure if the Celtics intend to keep him on the roster or if they try to move him. Um, that's something to kind of keep in mind. The Celtics also getting Bruno Fernando from the Hawks, a uh, big man. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what he's going to be if the Celtics, you know, keep him on the roster, what the plan is for him. Uh, the Celtics then trading for Josh Richardson, uh, dealing a draft pick and Moses Brown. So, you know, Moses Brown kind of figured to be kind of a project player for the Celtics, someone that will play you know, in the NBA, maybe in the D League, or uh, the G League, excuse me. Um, but the Celtics ultimately deciding to move him, bringing in Richardson as kind of, you know, um, an insurance policy in case Evan Fournier left in free agency, which he did. Um, so Josh Richardson, you know, is a guy that I think has had a lot of high expectations throughout his career. You know, still is a solid player you know, still kind of can shoot the ball well, you know, is a very good defensive player. And I think, you know, that might be what the Celtics were looking at with this trade. Um, so the Celtics bring him in, you know, most likely you'll see him start this season. Um, you know, not sure what the future holds for him. If the Celtics, you know, are just bringing him in for a season, you know, really, I think you're seeing the Celtics offseason plan being, you know, not really committing a lot of money to certain guys because they want to try to keep a max slot open next summer when they could potentially acquire, you know, a Bradley Beal or someone like that next summer. Um, so that's why you've seen them be very quiet in free agency. Um, you know, could they have signed Fournier? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, I think that the Celtics wanting to, again, you know, keep as much flexibility as they possibly can uh, before next summer. So the Celtics also brought back Ennis Cantor. Um, a move that I think surprised some people because, you know, obviously it's been a revolving door at that position. As the Celtics traded Ennis Cantor and attached a draft pick, you know, to get rid of his contract, then they brought in Tristan Thompson, you know, dumping him because of his bad contract and then bringing Cantor back. But it is worth noting that Cantor is playing for the veterans minimum now. You know, he's not playing at that mid-level exception you know, making ten million or nine and a half or whatever it was. You know, he's only making two point seven million against the cap. So, you know, I think at that price, being your third center, I think I like it because, again, he's a very solid offensive player, very good rebounder, um, and I think honestly showed some some good advanced numbers when he played for the Celtics two years ago. You know, showed some good advanced numbers specifically being paired with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown offensively. So I think, you know, really the idea for the Celtics, 
was trying to get guys who are going to fit well around Jalen and Jason. And I think Cantor does, especially offensively. Now, defensively, yes, he does have his deficiencies, you know, but I think at 2.7 million, you know, what he can do offensively kind of outweighs what he, you know, does or doesn't do defensively. Um, So I think it's a solid signing. Um, Could the Celtics be in the market for another guard? Perhaps, you know, I think they might be in the, in the market for a scoring type of guard, you know, hello, Isaiah Thomas, maybe they bring him back. You know, there've been conflicting reports about whether the Celtics would be interested in bringing him back. Um, I guess I would be surprised at this point, but you know, you never know. I think the Celtics though could definitely be in a position to add kind of another veteran guard, but you know, we'll see. Um, As far as other Celtics news, the uh, Summer League will start this weekend. Celtics sending Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Lankford, and Carson Edwards as like current Celtics. Uh, Yam Madar, the Celtics' second-round pick last season, will also be on the team. And uh, Julian Beggerin, I think is his name, the Celtics' second-round pick this season, uh, surprisingly, will join the team as well. So the Celtics... Uh, we'll get a good look at him playing in the summer league. So, summer league will be fun. Be interesting to see. Uh, specifically, watching uh, Pritchard and Neesmith, You know, both guys that weren't able to compete in the summer league last season because of the pandemic. Be interesting. Be a good opportunity for the both of them. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because you know the the unique circumstances of this summer league. You know, a lot of guys coming into the rookie season and playing in the rookie season without playing summer league first, it's going to kind of be an interesting wrinkle for them to, you know, play summer league after we've seen them play in the NBA, but it's a good opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity specifically for the Celtics, most recent second round picks to just kind of get a taste of, you know, I use the term NBA basketball loosely just because it's summer league, but I think it's a good opportunity for, you know, a few of these guys to get to to get some looks. Um, so before we move on and talk about free agency in the NBA, it is worth noting that both the U.S. men's and women's basketball teams will compete in the uh, gold medal game. The U.S. will play Japan tomorrow night at 10.30. And the U.S. men uh, into the gold medal game, a rematch against France. That game is tonight at 10.30. So Team USA looking to avenge their loss to France earlier in the tournament. Um, Team USA has really uh, turned it on, you know, in the last couple games, uh, dominating Australia in the semifinals, I believe, and then beating Spain in the quarterfinals. So Team USA gets their chance at redemption. Gold medal game tonight, 1030 uh, U.S. against France and uh, Fournier, Batum, and... Uh, Rudy Gobert. So that'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see how Jason Tatum does. Um, so now we'll take a look at free agency. Take a look at some of the big moves that have happened. Um, obviously, kind of the first move, if you will, Lonzo Ball getting a new deal from the Chicago Bulls, and then the Bulls later getting um, Demar Derozan in a sign and trade. Um, and let me tell you, the Bulls might be. Uh, the Bulls might be a pretty good team next year. You know, Vucevic still on the team. Zach Levine still on the team. 
you know, you're going to see a, a pretty good uh, Chicago team next year, which will be very interesting. Um, the Knicks, obviously, as you mentioned, signing Evan Fournier, also signed Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks to new deals. And it also is reported that they will be signing Kemba Walker once his uh, contract buyout is complete from the Thunder. So the Knicks will be, uh, will be interesting next year. I think Derrick Rose also was brought back. Julius Randle, um, obviously yesterday signed an extension as well. So the Knicks, you know, might be a, a pretty good team next year. Might be a tough out. Uh, Jared Allen getting a big deal with Cleveland. Uh, Mike Conley re-upping with the Jazz. Jimmy Butler obviously re-upping with the Heat with his big deal. Uh, Kyle Lowry going to the Heat in a sign-and-trade. This is a big, big deal for the Heat. Um, you know, maybe not, you know... I don't know if they'll really be a, a title contender. We really thought they were going to be last year, um, but it's 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 interesting. You know, you have a team, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, you know, Bam Adebayo, you know. I was kind of surprised that Kyle Lowry was going to, um, you know, I don't know. I thought I thought that he would get more money somewhere else, but I think, you know, the draw of playing in Miami and playing with Jimmy Butler, I guess the two of them are close. Um, and it sounded like Butler actually recruited Kyle Lowry to come play with the Heat. Um, you know, I think time will tell whether this makes them, you know, a legitimate, you know, title contender. Because, yes, Lowry was outstanding with the Raptors. But, you know, I don't know. I just feel like there are teams in the East that still are significantly better than the Heat. So that will be interesting to see the Suns um, signing Chris Paul to a new contract um, after he opted out of his $44 million player option, um, agreed to stay with the Suns four years for $120 million. Trevor Ariza going to the Lakers as well as Dwight Howard and Carmelo, the Lakers, uh, getting a lot of uh, older veteran guys. Um, they also did bring in Kendrick Nunn which I thought was interesting. So the Lakers obviously really trying to re-up or trying to reload, um, excuse me, Daniel Tice got a deal with the Rockets for years for $36 million, so good for him. Blake Griffin staying with the Nets with a one-year deal. Uh, Kent Bazemore signing with the Lakers. Uh, Shemi Ojale, Bruins, uh, Bruins uh, former Celtics, Bench player signing a one-year deal with the Bucks. Trey Young obviously signing um, his rookie max deal. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie going to the Wizards. I think that that's a really interesting move um, as the Wizards, you know, putting together a pretty solid backcourt with Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal. Dinwiddie obviously did not play almost all of last season after tearing his ACL. Uh, Andre Drummond staying or going to the Sixers. Uh, Patty Mills signing a deal with the Nets. He was rumored to be a potential Celtics target. Um, but yeah, Anis Cantor, the only um, Celtics move in free agency so far. Um, Hassan White signed, the White side signing with the Jazz. Uh, John Collins finally agreeing with the Hawks with his for his new deal. Uh, Oladipo returning to the Heat, um, Steph Curry obviously signing um, his extension today. 
Andre Iguodala signing a one-year deal to return to the Warriors. Danny Green returning to the Sixers. Um, so still, still no official contract on uh, Kawhi Leonard, although it seems like he will re-sign with the Clippers. Um, so be interesting to see what else the Celtics do in free agency. You know, I'm not sure if they bring in someone else, but, you know, I think the roster you're looking at is probably, or the roster that they had last season is most likely going to be the roster that they return with. You know, might be some guys that don't come back. You know, the team might look a little different, but I think, you know, it's most importantly, I think, you know, just a way to get, you know, new fresh perspectives with the coaching staff. You know, and you get guys who are going to better surround Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, you know, and it's really it's really their team right now. So um, it'll be interesting. You know, I think just an early guess on what their, um, you know, starting lineup might be. You probably see Marcus Smart, Josh Richardson, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, and Rob Williams, possibly Al Horford. You know, the Celtics might, you know, switch up lineups and put two bigs in there. You know, I think that that could be something that they look at on in, in terms of, or it might be something that they look up, look at on a matchup by matchup basis. Um, but I think likely that's what you're going to see. The lineup will be opening night: Smart, Richardson, Brown, Tatum, and Rob Williams. You know, which isn't isn't too bad of a starting five. You know, and then off the bench you have Neesmith, Pritchard, Cantor, uh, Al Horford. Um, be interesting to see what else the Celtics do to fill out the rest of their lineup. So that is probably it for the NBA. We'll move on to talking a little bit about the revolution, revolution, um, tying or scoreless tie with uh, Nashville during the week. And then over the weekend, the revolution with a 3-2 win over the New York Red Bulls. That was a really, really entertaining game to watch as uh, the Revs fall behind 2-1, to one, but get the tying goal in the last 10 minutes, and then Adam Buxa scoring in stoppage time to give the Revolution a 3-2 win. That was a really, really exciting game. Um, and then the Revolution obviously playing to a scoreless draw with Nashville on Wednesday. Revolution's next game is Sunday against Philadelphia at 6. The Revs have built a pretty commanding lead um, in the Eastern Conference with an eight-point lead over second-place Orlando City. Um, Matt Turner getting the clean sheet and, you know, obviously was a big part of Team USA winning the Gold Cup. Uh, Team USA beat Mexico on Sunday night to win the Gold Cup, so kudos to Matt Turner for having a heck of a tournament. It was actually named uh, best goalkeeper in the tournament. Um, so, you know, Revolution just... Continue to let the good times roll up. A plus 12 in gold differential. That's uh, second best in the Eastern Conference. Obviously, the Revs with 37 points. Eight points ahead of Orlando with 20, Orlando with 29. Uh, the Revolution play third place Philadelphia. So this will be an interesting match um, against Philadelphia on Sunday. Game is at Gillette. Uh, the Revolution also sending four players to the MLS All-Star game as the Revolution or as the MLS All-Stars will play All-Stars from the Mexican League, I think at the end of August. Uh, so Tejan Buchanan going to the All-Star game. 
it's rumored that he might be on the move to a different team in another country, which obviously is good for him. Not so great for the revolution. Um, I think those are just rumors, but obviously we'll keep you updated on that. Um, Brandon, or excuse me, uh, Carlos Heel and Gustavo Bo being selected as All-Stars as well as Matt Turner. So the Revolution going to be well represented at the All-Star game. Um, also worth noting, Team USA, the women's team, uh, winning the bronze medal game um, against Australia today, did lose to Canada in the semifinals, I believe. So they uh, will take home the bronze, Sweden and Canada, I think currently um, playing in the gold medal game as we speak. Um, so, you know, that probably, that probably, that probably, uh, does it for, for us this week. Um, you know, as always, you can listen to the podcast on, uh, Spotify, Apple podcasts. Uh, you can follow our Twitter page and our Facebook page. Um, so everyone have a good weekend. Try to stay cool. It's supposed to be, uh, very hot around here this weekend. So everyone try to stay cool. Um, And we will talk to you next week.